Hello all, welcome to the Lunar Seaspire Cartoon Fan Podcast. This is episode 370, and today we'll be talking about settling the score from Glitch Text. I'm GC13. And I'm David. And GC, I could have sworn that we already saw an episode of Glitch Text in which you exclaimed, this is like my favorite episode of Glitch Text. But apparently this is your favorite one. Well, this is another of my famous episodes. This one is... I think you're talking about Karate Trainer, which is my mm-hmm. favorite to just sit down and watch. But settling the score is just special because this is like Brad Breek on full display. Like he's he's giving us at least 50% of his power with this one, which is mind-boggling with Rock'em Sock'em and Kaiju Baby, which I just learned today were collaborations with an actual K-pop performer who I'm assuming it's still pronounced Marshall even though you take out the vowels. So, hey, learn something new, right? Yeah, Kaiju Baby was awesome. I I guess, like, I am a little worried for Glitch Text as it, we're, like, getting final episodes in this season that had a Clips episode, I keep thinking. Well, if I see some animation that's weaker or, you know, different sort of production shortcuts, then uh, I'm just expecting those to happen because, you know, clearly they lost steam, but oof. But you can tell where they spent the extra animation budget. That's right. I mean, this episode doesn't just feature a wholly unique and excellently performed song, Kaiju Baby, but a straight up Shadow of the Colossus, very cinematic climb performed by the incredibly acrobatic Five, who uh, just has some really beautiful (laughs) movement, uh, some impossible movement that I'm not really sure how he grips this giant digital monstrosity, but... Nonetheless, uh, it was very impressive looking, and also the dance sequences had quite a lot of shots. Oh, yes, they lavished those with attention. Yeah, I mean, Miko's dance moves, the reference for that was incredible. Like, the dance moves were just themselves really cool, and then the way they arranged it was really cool. Yes, that whole scene while Rock'em Sock'em is playing when she's setting the new high score is just You have shots of her doing the awesome dances. You have shots of the crowd who, like, as soon as they see, oh, holy cow, Miko is about to set a new high score. I have to watch this. That tells you how important this is. And, I mean, I love her little rival. I love how it, you know, eventually comes that she sees herself in him. It's a beautiful moment of empathy, but I love this game, and I know that there are two-player DDR units, but was there ever one in which you were represented as a kaiju and you could actually go to battle? I like this much more. Like, I think I've played two-player games like this, like maybe competitive Tetris, where as you cleared rows on your side, extra Tetris blocks fell on the other side. I'm not, I've never played a competitive DDR, though. I don't know what you could actually do to compete. Otherwise, I love this twist on it, though. Yeah, obviously they were... I I found it weird that it pops up the scanners just for the initial opening of the thing and then they go away because it's obviously looking at you and what you're doing because they're not just touching that floor pad. They're punching and doing all sorts of flourishes that would only make sense if they were counting those movements for their characters. Yeah, it's a motion-tracked game because they sort of do the Microsoft Connect thing of kind of pointing or using their hand to interact with the screen to do the character selections they weren't doing that on any kind of pad so you know it's a it's a nobi tech <laughs> they, they can have a fancy game like this oh yeah very magical i love it so what did you think of mike sims 
Yeah, adorable Mike, <laughs> as I have in my notes. I mean, he's a big jerk. Not the word I would use. Here's the thing. Mike is a new kid. And I mean, now I see him through that lens. But, you know, it's just an obnoxious little brat who's pretty, pretty damn good at games at his age. Uh, you know, not a super in-depth character. He's uh, quite the people person. He made an enemy of Miko, and even Ridley wants to exact horrific vengeance on him. Yeah, I mean, he's not winning any points in the arcade hanging around with his brother, and both of them are kind of jerks to everyone they pass by, but, you know, at least the scorekeeper was impressed, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta call him the scorekeeper, by the way. Uh, I love the, hey guys, scorekeeper here. Hi, Nix. (laughs) yeah he's like can you call me that please no they won't (laughs) i mean and this is after the oh yeah and nick's treatment he got in the (laughs) eclipse episode so poor guy i guess having your voice actor work on the show crew isn't a good way to get points with your co-workers no it's a good way to get purposefully put in situations in which you look like a loser (laughs) as a joke that's okay I mean, Bergie had a lot more game than Nyx did in this. Bergie Their roles did. have reversed. Now Nyx is the dork, and Bergie's the one who's got it going on. Bergie's so mysterious. <laughs> I love that he's winning yes. over the hearts of the... Is that a fried chicken place, or is that a burger place? It's the spaghetti in a bucket place. Oh, God, that's right. Oh, yes. Also, Freezy Freeze made a short return for Mike and his bro to be eaten at. Yep, the Frosty Mart... But, uh, yeah, that spaghetti in a bucket place is, uh, I can't believe I didn't remember the horrifically distinct creation of Glitztex that I can't believe <laughs> Fazoli's, baby. you know, or some other, is there even anything else? Fazoli's is a terrible drive through Italian restaurant in case anyone doesn't know about them. Like Olive Garden on wheels, but, uh, not on wheels, just you're on wheels if you go through the drive-thru. They could put their spaghetti in a bucket. Oh, it's a better value that way. Because you get a bucket at the end? Yeah, you get a bucket out of the deal. Yeah. It's like chicken in a bucket, but it's spaghetti. (laughs) What more do you want? I also liked how, I don't actually know what Mike's brother's name was, I forgot, but he offers... Ryu. Yeah, Ryu offers five playing cards, but it looks like he's offering him a pack of smokes. Yep. (laughs) While they're watching the game. I liked what they did there. That was great. That That was a good little bit. Um, I liked, you You mentioned we wouldn't get um famous voice actor lady who was... Yeah, Jamie Lynch is back. What the heck? Fix-It Felix. Fix-It Felix's love interest is back. <laughs> yes, that's one way to describe Jamie Lynch. Uh, Yeah, I can't believe that she was back for another episode. Only a few lines, and they could have recorded them all at once. But from probably, her previous probably. session, it's rare, though, that shows do do this, right? You know, classically... In Steven Universe, Sardonyx is never voiced <laughs> again. This has happened. You're thinking of Sugalite. Oh, that's right. Sardonyx is voiced again. Sugalite is who I'm thinking of. She's not actually in this episode. Do we still have to pay her? Right, Nicki Minaj's fair voice enough. clips. Which, to be fair to Jamie Lynch, Nicki Minaj, I don't know, there's something about music artists that just puts them in some different elevated place for how much you have to. they get to charge you for being a voice actor. Oh, well. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, this episode definitely called for, you know, heightened voice acting talent. The scale was awesome with, I guess, our biggest glitch threat yet, which also created a giant, absolutely not ignorable, permanent altercation to the landscape 
in a totally not completely out of the way part of the city that multiple residents will see. What the heck are they going to do about that? A giant, giant U-shaped carving in, in a mountain. I mean, they have a ton of glitch techs there, and the glitch techs will probably use their patch discs all on it. I, I'm pretty sure they can take care of it. I guess they do patch up small areas. That's a pretty big one. I would have liked to have seen any amount of thought or a sentence thrown out at it, but I guess I can accept that it goes away. I'd like to see them make a mistake that they really can't so easily erase, but it is Hanobi. I guess if you can make giant kaiju appear out of nothing and blow holes in things, you might as well also have the technology to restore it. Yeah. Now, did you like the shared payout that all of those guys got? That is a hundred billion XP that they shared. I didn't do the math, but uh, the thing about scales of 10 is it doesn't matter if you're dividing amongst four people or eight or nine people. That's It's a huge payout. <laughs> so, And yet, uh, five didn't even go up a level. So he must be pretty high up. That's about, yeah, about half of a level that he earned there. Do we even know what level he's at? Are you deep enough in the lore to know? Uh, no, the only time they ever tell us their level is back when they're noobs, and so they're unleveled. Yeah. And then we, of course, see when they level up to level one. Right. And uh, yeah, so even if you tried to track EXP from the show, it's like, well, they could have been on any number of missions that we never saw. Whatever. It was more fun in OKKO. Okay, <laughs> it's not the, not the focus here. Yeah, back before they revealed that the levels were absolutely meaningless. Mm -hmm. And so Miko's journey is perfectly lovely in this episode. Five doesn't have to. It's not a Miko and Five episode. They maybe kind of push in that direction. Five's really trying to be the mature one and get them back on track on the mission. But it doesn't ever really become a serious conflict with them, which is good because I don't need that territory to be tracked. I'm very happy with it being just Miko having her personal realization. And it's cute the way that she's so tired. It's like, yeah, she gives a little bit of something for the kid to hang on to for the next time he goes to the arcade by saying maybe she'll see him there again. But she's way too tired to <laughs> put more effort into uh, trying to console him in any way or connect with him. I love the, I have him on the ropes, and then it cuts to the HP bars, and they're both basically even. <laughs> I know it's good for Miko, though, that uh, you know she's not getting completely thrashed by the kid. She just has an even match of a rival. People respect confidence. Uh, apparently, apparently that's what got Miko some attention and friends when she first moved into town. Poor little tiny Miko. Yeah, but I mean, if uh, if Mike is insecure about not having any friends in town, maybe he and his brother could, you know, not run around the arcade making fun of people. Or are they doing that thing where they turn themselves into the mitches of the group by thinking, oh, people will respect my strength if I insult them constantly? Yeah. It's, or it's just one of those brotherly relationships where it's like, we got each other. We don't need anyone else. I don't know. Well, uh, clearly you do need someone else because I don't see either of you guys in this theme song. <laughs> That's true. They gotta work their way to staying relevant to the narrative or else they won't exist. <laughs> yeah, even the, even the whole Glitch Tech crew we just got introduced to managed to make it back for this episode, although apparently this is their last appearance. Oh, well. Yep, the last hurrah of the Dabney team. They probably would have showed up in a couple episodes in season three if they had ever been finished. Is it just me, or does Mitch appear to be paired with them in a way as if he's supposed to, like, have some regular rapport with them, 
he's just like framed in at several points as if he's like part of the Daphne crew. It's kind of weird. Did you catch that at all? Or am I just crazy? Uh, no, I never got any indication that Mitch was in any way associated with them visually in this episode. No, I guess he just appeared. I guess he appears centrally in a lot of the cut shots where it's showing multiple faces. But that's just because he's the leader, I suppose. The self-appointed leader. That's the best kind. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can see him just very easily trying to take over any group, but uh, I guess the Daphne crew is pretty hardy and also exclusive. Does not need more members, so. Uh, oh, well, there, I'm looking at this one shot right now where he is on the team with the two twins, or he mm-hmm. is on the side of the screen with the two twins, but both of the leaders are on the other side, uh, opposite with uh, Hanish, so they're just jumbling them around. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I do have one completely random anecdote, which is at the beginning, right, we're playing with a claw machine, and, you know, there is an appeal to the claw gods. I Well, I'm going to say there are no claw gods in this world, and also skill is not a factor in claws, in case you don't know this, listener. Uh, claw machines have programmed chances in them, so even if you grab an item, there is a little RNG roll that happens and then there is a you know percentage chance that the claw will be strongly holding on to that item or very easily shaking it loose so it's cute that they set it up as miko <laughs> i mean have you ever prayed to rn jesus in a game when <laughs> that's true getting you're getting your loot so they're just praying to rn jesus for the for the claw machine you're right there's different religious beliefs but it all leads to rn jesus in the end Sure. But, you know, most claw machines, I thought, and your involvement ended once you sent the claw down. This one has you actually moving it to the... Oh, yeah. Back to the hole. To the end. That's true, because that's where he messed her up, is on the return, which is, I guess, intentional, and they're making a different game. It's weird, because I didn't notice that. <laughs> But you're totally right. That's I've never seen a claw machine that works like that. And I mean, it is a pretty rad plush, but I, I figure they could just earn some with like I'm like five XP from their uh, well, swag store. That's just the truth of claw machines. Uh, you could always just buy anything in there. But you know, it's much more fun to spend fifty dollars trying. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I could spend $50 trying to do this or I could slip the Carney a $10 bill and he'll give me what I want. I like to think that Jimmy would help him. So two episodes out from the finale, we just did Colossus climbing. What's going to be more epic than that? Is it not? Is this the height of the season? Well, as far as magnitude of threat to the city, uh, I would say, yes, this is as big as it's going to get. But I do not think that the finale will disappoint you. It takes us to some interesting places. Okay. Is it a two-parter coming up? Uh, no, no, the oh, next okay. one's going to be the Mitch episode, and then the next one's going to be TBC City, baby. Oof. I'm, I'm hyped. I'm glad we could settle the score before <laughs> heading off into the end of Glitch Decks. Anyway, guys, that's been us on Settling the Score. Join us next week. Until then, I'm GC13. And I'm David. And help us settle our review score by leaving your own uh, on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Later, everybody.
Our opening and closing music is by Mark Soto. For more cartoon-related content, please visit LunarCeasefire.com.